I'm excited that you found a pastor for yourself. You know, one thing I'm looking forward to is one thing, at least this is true at Christ Church, as I've served just as the intern at Christ Church, there's a way in which I've been shaped by the people at Christ Church Bellingham, and there's also a way in which you will be shaped, or I have, in a sense, shaped uh, the church as well. And so I'm curious to see um, the ways in which the Lord will use Evan's ministry. Um, I don't think I introduced myself. My name is John Mata. I'm the pastoral intern at Christ Church Bellingham. And so I'm, anyways, I'm excited to have another pastor north of Seattle because Bellingham's a lonely place for <laughs> Christians. And so anyone we can get, we'll take them. So, all right, our passage is from 1 John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him nor know, or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is God's word given for our good. Please pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for dealing with the whole person, our uh, bodies, for loving our bodies, our inner lives, our emotions, that you have created us as emotional beings. And we also thank you for sending your son who died for our sake in order to take away shame that results from sin uh, in us and in the world. Pray that you would show us your son Help us to look forward to Him and to anticipate Him uh, in His second coming as much as we look to Him in His first. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, our topic for today's text is the topic of shame. And shame is something that at one time or another all of us have experienced. Right? Shame because of things we've done. Shame because of things that we've left undone. Or shame because of things that have been done to us. Maybe you were on your way to church this morning and you said something to your spouse or to your child or your parents or your friends that you regret. Or maybe at one time or another you failed to do what you ought. Right? Maybe you feel as though you've not been the father or mother you should have been or the son or daughter or brother or sister you should have been. Or maybe at some point uh, in your life, something entirely out of your control happened and you feel shame because of it. And so I'll just say at the outset, my goal, and I think the Apostle John's goal, is for you to be free from shame. But truly free, not to push it down, not to act like it's not there, not to cover it up, but to truly know the peace of Christ. And so I want to do this by answering three questions in light of our topic from today's text. First, what is shame? Second, what is our solution to shame? And then third, what is God's solution to shame? What is shame? What is our solution to shame? And what is God's solution to shame? Well, shame's an interesting topic and it has no shortage of opinions on what it is and how to define it. And it's something that's difficult to define, right? People have written extensively on the emotion of shame, right? And it can be easy to not do it justice. At the same time, at one time or another, all of us at some point have felt shame, right? This deep weight in our gut that builds up when we did something we shouldn't have. Or this irreparable pain we feel for something we failed to do. Or this overwhelming pain for something that was done to us at time, shame seems inescapable. Well, what is shame? I'm going to uh, uh, give you my seminary professor's definition, but then I hope to show you that in today's text. Uh, my professor, Dr. Taylor Lau, he says this, he says that shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard ideal, or goal. Shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard, ideal, or goal. In other words, shame is the emotion we experience when we fail to meet a perceived standard, whether it is just or unjust. All right, maybe at some point in your life, an authority figure or a parent put a, an expectation upon you that you could not live up to. Uh, just by way of illustration, I, I led a vacation Bible school at, or I led the games for vacation Bible school at Christchurch Bellingham a couple months ago. And I had never led a group of kindergartners through games. And I didn't realize how difficult um, it can be for them to comprehend what is being said. Very simple rules, and they just can't get it. Now imagine, and I didn't do this, but just imagine, 
When they struggled to understand the rules of the game, I got angry and I yelled at them. What do you think they might feel? Afraid or confused or ashamed, right? To expect a kindergartner to understand the rules of a complicated game is not a reasonable standard. At the same time, shame can result from uh, failing to meet a just standard, right? Imagine if you see someone being attacked and you have the power to help them and you don't, you have reason to be ashamed. But now let's look back at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, when he appears, so up until this point in the book of 1 John, John has been speaking of the coming of Christ exclusively in the context of his first coming, right? In the incarnation, when Jesus took on flesh. Jesus appeared past tense. And his reasoning is we saw him, we touched him, we felt him. But now John is speaking of a future appearance, right? When he appears, future tense. In other words, Jesus came, past tense, but he will also come again. And now, little children, abide in him so that, right, so he's giving the reason for abiding in Christ, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And I can talk about what confidence in the second coming of Christ means, But essentially, John is arguing that when Christ comes again, if you do not abide in Him, if you do not abide in Him, you will experience shame to the nth degree. And it won't be like much of the shame we experience today, right, where we are not at fault. No, the reasoning in 1 John up until this point is that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And in the same way darkness flees when light appears, those who do not abide in Christ will shrink from him in shame at his second coming. The shame experienced at the second coming is because God sees all and he is just and he knows all. And so what is shame? Well, in the context of the second coming of Christ, shame is the experience of knowing that you stand before a holy God who sees everything, whose judgment is just, and who will leave those who do not abide in Christ without excuse. And again, this shame will not be like much of the shame of our day where we may not be at fault. No, the shame by those who do not abide in Christ at the second coming will be a fitting response to sinning against the God who made us and our neighbor. And so what is the solution to shame? Not just present shame, but future shame. Well, before we get there, I think we need to talk about our own solution to shame, our own solution to shame. Right, it's not just shame that we need to be set free from, but it's actually our solution to shame that we need to be set free from. Uh, Diane Langberg and others have highlighted four ways in which we respond to shame. And again, I, I hope to tie this in today's into today's text, uh, she argues that we withdraw, we avoid, we attack self, and we attack others in response to our shame. 
We withdraw. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden in response to their shame. Right before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. After Adam and Eve and Eve sinned in the garden, what did they do? They went uh, and hid and covered themselves with leaves when the Lord looked for them. The second way we respond to our shame is we avoid. Right? Many of us, when we think about our shame and our lives, we try to avoid thinking about those things. Right? We distract ourselves with media or substance abuse or even just acting like we're not ashamed. Many of us are too ashamed to acknowledge we are ashamed. The third way we respond to our shame is we attack self. Right? Self-harm, self-hatred. Right? I hate who I am. Maybe you're a hypercritical self-talker. Well, I'm just a perfectionist. Or maybe it's self-harm. Self-harm is a shame response. At the same time, your body and soul, you were created in God's image, and he loves your body, he created your body, and he loves your soul. Finally, the fourth shame response Diane, Diane Langbird cites is attacking others. And this is I think obvious to us, right? When you feel shame, you get angry, or you get violent, or you scoff and you mock. Well, look down at verse 4 with me. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of, of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What's John's point? Well, if I think back to vacation Bible school, one of my favorite parts of VBS is you get to see kids from your church and how similar they are to their parents, right? And we all know the saying, like father, like son. And if you look at verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the reason that natural man, apart from Christ, cannot free themselves from shame is because mankind can only do what their father does. Right? No one is born a blank slate. The reason that mankind cannot free themselves from sin and shame is because by birth, in a sense, according to 1 John, our father is the devil. And the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right? Humanity's solution to its shame are behavior patterns that are rightly called sin. And if you've ever read uh, Dan Allender, he talks about how there are healthy and unhealthy ways to respond to the shame we are experiencing. And he argues that when we seek to resolve it through drunkenness, abuse of others, and other things, that can rightly be called sin. And friends, our solution to shame, avoiding, withdrawing, attacking others, attacking ourselves, they cannot free us from our present shame. And worse than that, they cannot free us from the shame that will happen or that could happen if we do not abide in Christ at the second coming. 
So what's the solution to shame? How can I be free from shame? How can I escape shame? And this leads us to question three. What is God's solution to shame? What is God's solution? And I'll show you that in today's text, but first I'll I'll just state it. God's solution to our shame is for us to see Christ in his second coming in light of his first coming. God's solution to our shame is for us to see Christ in his second coming in light of his first coming. Or in other words, God's solution to our shame is to look to to his second coming in light of what he did, what he accomplished in his first. Look down at verse 28. And now, little children, chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. God's solution to our shame is that by grace, through faith, we have been adopted into God's family. When I was about 19, I had dropped out of college, and I had moved to, uh, from Chicago, Illinois, to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, and in that time, I was working at Target, and I was still kind of learning how to manage my own finances. And on occasion, I would accidentally overdraw my account, and it was more than one time, uh, because I didn't know how to manage my bills and monthly transactions. It was complicated. I was a disorganized 19-year-old. And I remember being so ashamed of that. And I would call my dad, and I would say, Dad, I overdrew my account. I need a little bit of cash. And I can't remember a single time in my life where he got angry about this. He never called me a fool. He never shamed me. He helped me because I'm his son. And every time this would happen, my dad would say something to the effect of, John, it's okay. When I was your age, I made mistakes too. But you're my son. I'm here to help you, and I want to teach you how to manage your finances. So let me ask you this. Are you ashamed of the sins that you have committed? Are you ashamed of the things you have neglected to do? Are you ashamed of the things that have been done to you? Jesus, the one through whom all things were created, took on flesh and came to earth so that those who trust in him might be free from sin and shame. If you have trusted in Christ, according to 1 John 2, 28 through 3, verse 10, you have been adopted into God's family and have no reason to be ashamed. J.I. Packer says this, he says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. This is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And this is what verse 28 means when it's speaking of abiding in Christ. To abide in Christ is to first and foremost recognize that you have been adopted into God's family. 
It is to recognize what Jesus did in the past. He did so that he might adopt you into God's family. It's this idea that C.S. Lewis shared, uh, the only person who could have the gall to wake up a king and ask him for a glass of water is the king's child. Right? Earlier I said that uh, the reason mankind cannot set themselves free from sin and shame is that by birth, in a sense, our father is the devil. And we need to be free from the works of the devil. And so look down at chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Friends, if you're ashamed because of your sin, Jesus came to take away sins, and you have no reason to be ashamed if you have trusted in him. But if Jesus came and took away the reason to be ashamed, then you also have no need for those shame responses, right? To avoid the reality of the sin. You don't need to act like it's not there. You don't need to withdraw. You don't need to attack yourself. You don't need to attack others. If you have trusted in Christ, he has taken away all your sins and you have no reason to be ashamed. And then chapter 3, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you are ashamed of a sinful action that someone has committed against you, know that God came in order to destroy the works of the devil, and he has done that. That shame that you were left with because of the sin of another, God has washed you clean. He has washed you clean. Regardless of what has been uh, done to you, and uh, you are clean because Christ has washed you. Chapter 3, verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so if you feel dirty, if you feel ashamed, Know that by hoping in Jesus, you actually purify yourself. If you, if you hope in Christ, you have no reason to be ashamed. God's solution to shame is to look to his second coming in light of what he did in the past. He took away sins and he destroyed the works of the devil. So really to conclude, shame is the painful emotion that arises from an awareness that one has fallen short of some standard, ideal, or goal. Friends, we cannot meet God's standard. In fact, our solution to our shame, to withdraw, to avoid, to attack others, or to attack ourselves, God is actually putting an end to. They are dollar store imitations of God's redemption. The solution to our shame is that we are children of God. And those who hope in him will not be put to shame. And I just want to close with a poem I read, part of a poem I read recently. My life is like a frozen thing, no bud nor greenness can I see, yet rise it shall, the sap of spring. O Jesus, rise in me. If you feel shame today, Christ has come to raise your broken spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that apart from the coming of your Son uh, in the first century, we would have no reason 
We would have no way of escape from our shame. So I thank you for sending your son for our sake so that your people might know the joy of forgiveness. Uh, We ask that you would help us to see your son and to change us by him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.